Okay, good morning, Women of Hope and those listening. My name is Laura Moore, and I am on the Women's Shepherding Team at our Cotswold site. And I'm really thankful to be with you all this morning. If we haven't met, a little bit about me. I've been at Hope for 14 years. I live with my husband, Colby, and our three boys, Hudson, Coleman, and Bear, 874. Um, If you can't find me, I'm usually at a ball field, in the kitchen cooking, which is my happy place, or jumping up and down watching Tennessee football in my airbrushed Dolly Parton t-shirt. So now that you have a picture and a snippet of who I am, that's all you need. So this morning, we are going to dive back into the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to be looking at what Jesus is telling us about his upside-down kingdom. Today, we are looking at Matthew 5, 6, and Matthew 6, verses 1 through 8, and then 14 through 18. As you notice, I'm jumping over a chunk of scripture. I'm um, skipping the Lord's Prayer this morning because Sarah John is going to teach on that next week, and I'm excited to hear from her. So in our passage today, we are looking at what Jesus is calling us out of, calling us out of slavery and inviting us to experience freedom from our own striving. He is leading us out of the wilderness and into the promised land where we can experience rest and intimacy with him. So we're going to start this morning as we do every week with Lectio. We're going to quiet our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word that is living and active. So I want you to grab your journal, your Bible. I want you to ground your feet, steady your breathing, slow your mind. I know we all come in with a thousand thoughts. We've already done a hundred things. So I just want to invite you all to rest and catch your breath. So we, I'm going to take a minute, and then I will start. Our Lectio is going to be Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. So let's be silent and just invite the Lord in. Okay, the first time I read it, I want you to think about what words or phrases jump out to you. What grabs your attention? What makes you curious? What do you notice? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. 
Okay, this time I read it. Imagine going into a private room, just you and Jesus. The door is shut and it's just y'all. What does that feel like to you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Okay, the last time I read it, I want you to think about what does this passage tell you about Jesus and his upside-down kingdom? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. God, thanks for this morning and just the opportunity to sit in your word, um, to be still, to be quiet, to allow your Holy Spirit to wash over us. 
pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at what you um, say about your upside down kingdom and um, who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to use the beatitude, Matthew 5, 6, as a framework to look at what Jesus is saying about the longings of our hearts. We will look at what it means to be thirsty and hungry for intimacy with him and how we are invited to find deep satisfaction and rest with him alone. So as a reminder, these beatitudes are being described as Jesus's vision for human flourishing. They are a way of being. What is radical and unique about Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is that it's an unexpected twist that human flourishing is found amid suffering in the time of waiting for God to bring his full reign from heaven to earth. So today we land in the last of the four, first four Beatitudes about that describe our vertical relationship with God. Flourishing are those whose lives are marked by a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is for Jesus himself. So today, if you're an outline person, today we're going to be looking at three things. One, what do you hunger and thirst for? What do you look to to satisfy your longings? Number two, what is your posture towards Jesus? And number three, what does it mean to be satisfied by Jesus? So we're going to start by breaking down the beatitude. So let's look at the first part of Matthew 5, 6. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's remember that right before Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he had just spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness. He was ravenous. He was weak and weary, tempted by the devil. Jesus deeply knew what it felt like to be hungry and thirsty. Every morning, we wake up with a hunger and thirst. We crave our coffee and our bagels, but I'm, not talking, I'm talking about something deeper here. We are all restless and chasing and striving for something. What does life in South Charlotte tell you to hunger and thirst for? It often tells us our bank accounts need to look a certain way, that our homes should be pristinely decorated, that we have to travel to the hippest destination, that we need to try the latest fad diet, that our skin and our bodies should never age, that we need to swipe up on everything an influencer tells us we need to buy, that we have to hit certain numbers at work, that our kids need to go to a specific preschool if they want to get into a certain college. I could go on and on, and it's exhausting. We are all grasping. We are either grasping to obtain something, or we are grasping to keep the things we have and the life we do have. We clench our fists so tight to hold on to our fitness, our finances, to stay safe, to stay young. We grip so tightly to the life we have. In this, what are we putting our hope in? Our worth, our identity. When the Lord is talking to Jeremiah about how Israel has forsaken him, he says in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Every day, we drink of broken cisterns and we eat stale bread that does not satisfy. The words of C.S. Lewis feel so very true. He says, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
We were made for his kingdom, but somehow we keep fighting for the things of this world we think will satisfy us. Sometimes those longings of our heart are good, right? We long for a spouse, a new job, a baby, physical healing. But the reality is these things won't ultimately satisfy us. Remember, we were made for another world, one without sin and brokenness. Our desires always point us to a deeper longing for a relationship with God. That's why they're really important to pay attention to. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to awake to our hunger and thirst. Is there a longing in your heart you're afraid to name? What's really underneath that longing? For me, um, I just wanted my dad to be sober. What a great longing, right? When he finally got sober, I was left still wanting more for him, for our family, What I really wanted was Jesus to meet me in the chaos for stability and peace that only he could bring. In this beatitude, Jesus is trying to explain to us about the universal experience of an insatiable longing. He is talking about a hunger of the heart and a thirst of our soul. In waiting for our hunger and thirst to be satisfied, we struggle to be content. On our women's retreat, Wendy Alsup spoke on gospel contentment, and it was awesome. Um, She made it clear that contentment, contentment does not equal happiness, which is what the world tells us it does. Where do you hear the lie, if I just had blank, then I would be content, happy, satisfied? We believe the lie that we will be content when we live in a certain neighborhood, achieve a specific promotion, when our kids make the honor roll, or when we make that perfect Instagram post. What is it for you? If I had blank, then I would be content. I remember thinking I had arrived when I was featured in Seventeen Magazine with Paris Hilton on the front, nonetheless, as a high schooler. I was featured with two other friends about about an art in an article about unique high school sports. I'm using quotes if you're listening to this. Um, This included boxing, fencing, female wrestling. I was a swimmer. That was not unique, just to be clear. (laughs) Um, It's laughable looking back about how prideful I was. Oh, I love that. I love that Seventeen magazine. Um, I'm sure my mom still has it framed and hung somewhere in my childhood bedroom like a prized possession. I was satisfied for my fleeting moment of fame, right? But it was gone quickly. We are all trying to create a record, build an image. We want to be praised for our accomplishments. I love the definition Wendy landed on for contentment at the women's retreat. And I'm going to say it twice because it's so good. Contentment is a condition in life where we have sufficient supplies for what we need in the moment. Contentment is a condition in life where you have sufficient supplies for what you need in the moment. You have the daily bread you need. So where do these supplies come from? The gospel is that bridge to the sufficient supplies we need. We see that in this beatitude. Jesus is telling us flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for him, for righteousness, for those who recognize their deep need for Jesus. Psalm eleven seven says, for the Lord is righteous. 
He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. You are sufficiently supplied by grace in Christ in his righteousness. I have all the spiritual resources I need as the daughter of the king. I love what Wendy said, how she said it so clearly. Christ's righteousness is in my bank account. It's spiritual equity. God put Jesus's righteousness in my account purely by his grace. I want to point out that the first three Beatitudes leading up to this one describe emptiness, poor in spirit, pouring over our sin, meekly and humbly learning to yield to God's will. For the past three weeks, we have asked you to examine and recognize your need for Jesus. In other words, after producing a blessing upon those who recognize their emptiness and grieve over it and don't try to justify it or defend themselves, Jesus now makes a transition from emptiness to fullness. These first four Beatitudes describe a broken, grieving, dependent person who hunger and thirst for Jesus. Is that you? Chuck DeGrode explains it in his book, Leaving Egypt, when he says, for those who believe that faith in Jesus ought to bring complete satisfaction and continual happiness, this beatitude is confusing. Didn't Jesus come to offer abundant life and life to the full? Indeed, he did. Mm -hmm. However, Jesus announces that satisfaction requires dissatisfaction. Fullness requires emptiness. Abundance requires insufficiency. According to Jesus, a life of happiness and virtue requires a posture of empty-handedness. Jesus is calling us to a deep desire for righteousness, for God's kingdom. This is the upside-down kingdom. Do we recognize our emptiness and insufficiency? We must approach the throne of grace with a posture of humility and open-handedness. So how do you do that? How do we have this posture? This is point two for whoever likes that. Um, how are we open-handed with the Lord? So let's look now at Matthew 6. We're going to expand on our Lectio, and I am going to read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 8 and 14 through 18. And in these verses, Jesus is addressing the posture required to enter his kingdom. Jesus gives us three examples of what it looks like in religious practices. The three examples he talks about is giving to the poor, our prayer life, and fasting, which means intentionally sustaining from food or drink in a time in order to become more attuned to your spiritual needs. Okay, so Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know your right hand is doing it so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into a private room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want to be clear what is not happening here. Jesus is not condemning these practices of giving, praying, and fasting. Rather, he is warning against the temptation for these behaviors that have wrong heart motives. Those acts that hunger and thirst for the praise of others rather than for the praises of God. We see how people were in fact trying to build their own righteousness. God warns us to not be like the hypocrites who announce their giving with trumpets, who stand praying on the street corners or fast looking somber. This is like the person who posts on social media about something good they've done serving the poor, helping a friend in need, or perhaps even giving to Stephanie's food drive in the back. And then they sit down and wait for like and comments and DMs. They've done a great thing, and I do not want to diminish that, but their motivation is for the praise and approval of others. I want to clarify what you see in verses 2, 5, and 16. It's kind of repetitive. Jesus says in all three of these verses, they have received their reward in full. Jesus tells the one who gives so he can hear the applause of others that he should enjoy those applause because that will be all the reward he receives. There will be no reward in heaven for the one who did it for a motive of earthly reward. Boasting in, this, in these things pays homage to our orphan mentality. Look what I did, yay for me. Essentially saying I did it on my own without the father. It reveals our unbelief and our pride as spiritual orphans. When I attempt to build my own righteousness, I will continue to feel empty, exhausted, dissatisfied. It will never be enough money, enough time, enough energy, enough security, enough approval. I can be guilty of this. When my husband comes home at night and he's like, how was your day? I often find myself rattling off all the good things I did. I took a meal to someone, I dropped off flowers to a friend grieving, I volunteered at school, I helped my mom solve one of her many technology problems, I donated to the preschool fundraiser, blah, 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 blah. What do I want Colby to say to me in this moment? Yay for you, good job, Laura, you're such a good person. Ugh, right, like, ugh. All these things are good, but often my heart motive is simply to be acknowledged or praised for my actions. And that's really hard for me to admit in a room full of women. Am I trusting that Christ's righteousness covers me? No, I am trying to prove my own reputation. I'm trying to uphold my own performance before others. Romans 10.3 says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so, there, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In his book, Leaving Egypt, again, Chuck DeGroote says, 
Jesus is perhaps asking us to examine our own hearts. What are we grasping out of the need to possess? The invitation to hunger and thirst is an invitation to let go, to wait patiently, to find greater satisfaction in allowing God to gift us with satisfaction rather than trying to possess it on our own. What are you hungering and thirsting for? What are you striving for? What are you holding on to too tightly? Does that satisfy? I don't know about you, but I really struggle with the lie that I always have to be busy. I love to be needed. I hate to be needy. I believe the lie that I have to be everything for everyone and function like the world needs me 24-7. I want to be able to show up for others at the sacrifice of my health, my sanity, and my family. I'm a self-proclaimed busybody and doer. We have a Colby, my husband, calls me and my mom a shark. If we stop moving, we'll just sink. (laughs) We have a silly phrase in our family, my extended family, that we use when someone is sitting and everyone else is running around like crazy, party prepping or cooking, someone will say, we'll just have a day. (laughs) And it's playful, right, and silly, but it's touching a piece of my story and a lie that I believe that if I am not busy or producing, then I'm not needed, I'm not wanted, I'm not valued, I have nothing to offer, and I am not seen. Do you hear the Beatitudes in there, right? Jesus asked me to come to him poor in spirit, empty-handed. I am often at the end of my rope after pouring and pouring out. There is a posture of humility required when I recognize my deep need for him. When I feel like the world is pulling on me, do I see that my heavenly father wants to care for me? Jesus asked me to mourn over my sin. I am trying in my own effort to simply offer my helping, my producing as a way to build my own identity. But then I found myself grieving over what I'm sacrificing, my health, my sanity, my family. Jesus asked me to be meek and yield to his will. Am I able to yield to his will and not my own? Even when it comes from stepping away from something, saying no, dropping balls, or disappointing others. Things the world tells me feels like, feel like death actually offer me rest in Jesus. Can you relate? Do you ever find yourself saying, I'll rest when blank. When I finish the project, when the kids go to school, once I get through such and such date, once I finish this talk, right? Or maybe you find yourself saying, I cannot afford to rest. Do you see all these people that depend on me? I would argue that you cannot afford not to rest. You can't live your life with a constant hunger and thirst that will never be satisfied by this world. Are you weary from trying to keep up and catch up? Are you tired from striving for things the world tells you will satisfy you? A clean house, a well-behaving child, praise at work. Are you holding on for dear life to the health and financial security you do have? This is not the way the Lord intended us to live. Exhausted and weary, lugging around our own cisterns. Do you ever find yourself saying, does anyone see me? 
Maybe you're listening, uh, listening to this alone in your apartment after you've worked your butt off for a manager that doesn't know you or appreciates you. Maybe you're listening to this in the midst of a cloud of chaos with kids running around while you're trying to cook dinner and help them with homework. Maybe you feel alone in a room trying to have a hard conversation with a teenager about choices. Maybe you're at a bedside of a loved one whose body is failing them. I can relate. I've been the girl in a dark, empty dorm room fighting depression and an eating disorder. I felt so isolated and stuck at home with sick, irrational toddlers. I've, had, I've held my dad's hand when he was on life support fighting for his life. I've never had teenagers, but I've grieved with friends over the weight of their kids' choices. Does anyone see me? Does he see me? I'm weary and exhausted and craving something and someone to quench my longings. In your loneliness, chaos, and grief, he sees you. Even when you feel like you have nothing to offer but yourself, he says, come. In your hunger and thirst, be in my presence and satisfy. I will satisfy you. Now to our last point. What is God inviting us to do here? In this world of discontentment, how do you find satisfaction and rest in him? I asked earlier in the icebreaker if you had a secret hideout growing up. I was always looking to escape the chaos and be alone. Hello, introvert here. Um, we had a tree house in the wooded lot next to ours. It was definitely unsafe, but we went in it anyway. And it became my little safe haven over the years. I hoarded all my treasures there. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, the trinkets. Um, and often I, quote, ran away to my treehouse when I felt scared or alone or misunderstood. Have you been there? Are you running to a treehouse right now? Jesus, do you believe that Jesus is there? What does it look like to be in secret with Jesus. That was said a lot in our scripture today. I wanna to pause and let you think about that. I want you to close your eyes right now and use your sacred imagination. Close your eyes. The door is closed. It's shut. It's just you and Jesus. Do you believe he loves you even when you're not doing anything? Do you believe he delights and even longs to be in your presence? What is your relationship like when no one's watching? When you are in a room and the door is shut with Jesus, do you feel special, known, seen by him? Is there a private or secret part of you that only, know, only known by Jesus? What is the look on his face right now? Some of you may have trouble even making eye contact with him. And that's okay. Just try and believe he sees you and loves being with you. You can open your eyes. Matthew 6, 8 tells us, your father knows the things you need before you ask him. He knows. He knows your needs before you utter them. What an exhale, right? I love how Tim Keller describes this intimacy with Jesus. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by Jesus. 
It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's it. That is the invitation to intimacy with the Lord. To be fully known and fully loved. It is wholeness. It is oneness with him. Did you have a security blanket or lovey growing up? Confession time. I still sleep with my childhood blankie. You can do, you can figure out how old I am, I'm sure, by my kids' ages. It's in my pillow, guys. It's okay. It's in shreds. Yes. It was the comforter. Comforter? I don't even, they can't even do that anymore, of my crib growing up. Um, and I can't give it up. Why? Because deep down inside, I long to be that little girl. For my Father in heaven to see me and comfort me. What does deep satisfaction in Jesus look like for me personally? Oh, I long for rest. I long to exhale. I want to be cared for by Jesus. I want to be carried. I want a calm and relaxed heart. I don't want to feel frazzled. I want someone to take care of me, to meet my needs. I want, a, I want to sit in silence, staring at a blank wall in the presence of Jesus. I want to grab my blankie, cuddle on his lap like I was his little girl. Are you able to slow down long enough to be fully known and work to believe that you are fully loved by him? Is intimacy with Jesus, is his love for me, just me, enough to satisfy? In Bear's class, a different kid, that's my four-year-old, a different kid stands up every morning and gives like a news of the day. And last week, Bear's news of the day was, I have a mommy and she loves me. Period. That was it. In the moment, that was enough for him. When asked what was important to him that day, my love for him was enough. I remember for so long, I believed the lie that rest meant being lazy or idle. I will never forget when I was invited to read Psalm 23 in a new way. This is the CSB version. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Do you hear the invitation there? He leads me to lie down in green pastures and beside quiet waters. In the rest, there is nourishment. He's not asking me to lay in a desert. We are being fed and fueled in the most fertile land by our shepherd. I have what I need. I have the sufficient supplies I need for the moment. I am content. In his rest, I am satisfied. The daily bread he gives me is sufficient. In John 6, 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Am I allowing God to gift me with satisfaction and contentment in him alone? rather than trying to possess it on my own. Do I believe that he knows what I need? Do I believe that he gives me what I need? And that's enough. 
In the Lord, we find true, genuine satisfaction. He is the sufficiency we need. He is our daily bread. In him, we find intimacy. We can stop living like orphans and rest knowing we are fully known and fully loved by him. I want to end with this piece of scripture found in Revelation 7, verse 15 through 17. Here, John is describing Jesus' coming kingdom. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a beautiful picture of intimacy. What a day that will be when we're fully satisfied by him alone. Let me pray. God, thanks so much. Um, Just for the reminder of who you are as our good shepherd. For the reminder of the things you desire for us. That you desire to be our daily bread. To meet our needs. Pray that the women in this room would see an invitation to intimacy with you. That they would see the opportunity to rest in you and that that would be enough. In your name we pray. Amen.